0: We
1: are on a mission. A mission to save and revitalize independent pharmacy. On the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast, you'll get actionable business advice.
2: Hear stories from industry leaders. And share a laugh or two with us.
1: Fuel your passion for pharmacy.
2: One conversation at a time. Four. Three. Two. One. Welcome to the Catalyst Pharmacy podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Key, president of Pioneer X. And today I'm here with my co-host, Josh.
1: Hi, I'm Josh Allen, senior vice president of clinical strategy and development at Pioneer X. Our guest today is our good friend, Troy Trigstadt, executive director at CPESN.
0: So what's new with Troy? I see you got a little son <laughs> <Yeah>, I did. <laughs> I just thing? got off a boat. Yeah. Uh, some of the safest places on Earth uh, probably over the past uh, good bit of time have been cruise ships, interestingly enough, to get onto a cruise ship and off of a cruise ship. Uh, the amount of paperwork that you need and stuff you have to follow is pretty remarkable. Um, but it was great. It was really good to see. I mean, it feels like the world's much of the world to uh, coming out of the pandemic is really starting to feel more like a new normal, but it's more like normal. I mean, my kids just yesterday for the first time had masks optional in school. Certainly there's places in the country that, you know, they've been masks optional for a long, long time, but it's still out there. I mean, just yesterday, that's two years and two weeks. I mean, think about that, mm, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I uh, I talked to a, a lady just yesterday who I invited to connect uh and her pharmacy didn't make it and I looked at when it opened you know she wrote me back and said hey the pharmacy didn't make it and she opened like February of 2020 oh yeah. man
0: yeah it, it, that's an interesting t- you know I think tonight it, my response to that what triggered in my mind Jeff was um something that we tell our pharmacies a lot which is you need to think of yourself not as a dispensary, but as a healthcare provider who's using that dispensing event as a unique opportunity of engagement and touch point and trust to provide those services at scale and effectively. Because it wasn't that there weren't lots of opportunities for services and margin during the pandemic for pharmacies. Right. They it's, just weren't traditional. It's that she didn't have a panel of two or three or four or 5,000 patients to say, hey, here's these services I can provide to you.
1: Mm Yeah.
0: Right. Because there's plenty of opportunity out there. But if you had established patients that you were dispensing, converting that to service opportunities, the pandemic put to bed the notion that a pharmacies can't provide services that are at scale and sustainable and b that it's not a superior place to engage a panel of patients. So I think, you know, I feel, I feel bad that it was that point in time, but I think it's also instructive as to how we ought to be thinking about post-pandemic services that services by themselves, very competitive playing field. Services layered into a pharmacy successfully where you have that regular dispensing event, superior best in class. That's why there's a lot of people that want to get into the dispensing event that aren't getting into the dispensing event to make money, but to get to some other ends. Uh, We're seeing a lot of action there on vertical integration and patient channeling for that purpose. Not to make money on dispensing, but to do something else because that dispensing event is a category killer when it comes to trust, engagement with patients.
2: So, what are some examples of some of the people getting into it to do that?
0: A lot of private equity um a lot of um uh, you know it, the vertical integrations are just they're they keep accelerating right so we've got pharmacy chains that are by my calculation over 100 billion dollars investment in primary care and the wow. theory of the case is that i can not necessarily i mean it, it'll see, we'll see how it shakes out and which companies it shakes out this way but every the top at least 5 of the top 8 chains by numbers of pharmacies have spent a significant amount of money going and purchasing and investing in primary care. And there's two there's two theories to the case, right? I could bring that, maybe that will help my pharmacy. Right. Or maybe my pharmacy will help bring that. And I think my money's on the ladder. A lot of mm-hmm. these folks are thinking, hey, I can kill primary care. I can do it more efficiently. I can bring foot traffic. I can do all this. I'm going to use my pharmacy as a way of capturing primary care. I hope, but I'm a little more skeptical of the opposite, right? Which is, hey, primary care is a way to get more services to the pharmacy. Right. Yeah. That's all the way throughout health systems, payers, plans, um, independent primary care, chain pharmacy. Everybody's going for the combination frontline healthcare provider. How do I do dispensing alongside frontline primary care services? Everybody. Yeah. Do you think some of it's just kind
1: of the wild west? Like one of the things that um, we've seen weird is like when you bill a pharmacy drug, you bill it by an NDC, you get a very specific, this is going to get reimbursed at $19, no questions asked. When you do that same drug on the medical side, you submit a j code and they sub they may reimburse you two hundred dollars and they have no idea how much you gave and how little it just it feels like there's a way that there's some shoring up to do, and the people who are adding in that primary care part are billing medical because they can get away with it
0: well i i for every action, there's usually an attempted counter reaction, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and one of, one of the places that, that I'm hearing this happen is in the home infusion space. Right. Right. So people that are in the home infusion space love Part B, just like pharmacy would have loved to do lots of things on Part B. But as more and more of those strategies are being employed to optimize the opportunity over there, more and more plans are shifting that stuff from Part B over to part D or over from the medical benefit to the pharmacy benefit right? because of the tighter controls, the real timeness, the ability to mine data. And, and honestly, and I don't mean this in a pejorative way, this is just fact. You can control providers through the PBM system much more than you can control providers through medical. Yeah, there's a ton of opacity on the medical bill. Right. Right. So, you know, uh, it, it, it's a little bit of that, you know, the golden NDCs on the pharmacy side has been cleaned up a little bit, right? Hey, I get, I go, you know, name the drug, people know what they are. And there's this gigantic arbitrage opportunity that's starting to get cleaned up over there. There's still a bunch of that over on the medical side. Right. There's a lot of, a lot of opportunism still going on over there, but there's going to be a reaction to that. Right. And it seems to be that the natural reaction is, well, get over the PBMs. They have more effective whips. Well, yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah their whips are pretty good.
2: Yeah, And
0: they don't have duopoly. to follow a lot of the same rules that we have to on the plan. That's one of the other aspects of it. Hey, they go by a different set of rules, send them over there. We have all sorts of provider agreements. I can't segregate some of those. If I'm in Medicaid, I've got certain rules around how I interact with medical providers and and the networks and how they're formed and all this. PBMs are a subcontractor. They have a different set of rules and they can get away with a different set of factors, right?
2: Yeah, I saw where uh, one of those big um, pharmacy groups is now opposing uh, uh, prescribing authority for pharmacists.
0: (laughs) I've actually had dinner with Uh, Dr. Harmon. Um, (laughs) I don't know how much of that's Dr. Harmon, how much of that's the AMA. I don't want to speak for him. Um, But the medical industrial complex certainly responded to um, a lot of what happened during the pandemic with respect to consumer and policymaker awareness and acceptance of pharmacies, being able to provide frontline primary pharmacy services at scale. So for, uh, to me, the FDA stepping in in an, an incredibly unprecedented way and saying, essentially, for safety reasons, we're going to, as the FDA say, only these types of providers can prescribe. Not only are we going against our own administration and HHS by doing so, Right, We're going to trump all state sentiments and practice acts on the matter. And the irony of that whole situation is the single most frequent and concerning sets of reports that we got once. So this sort of oral antivirals came to the marketplace was pharmacies saying, the physicians don't know what to prescribe, they don't know what's going on with it, they don't know where it's at, they don't have any idea of this drug, this drug, and this drug. So the irony of the FDA's decision from our perspective and what we saw in the pharmacies was, they prescribed three types of providers, physicians, nurse practitioners, and PAs, could only prescribe this drug for safety reasons when in actuality, if you were on the ground, it was quite apparent that the most safe provider To let do this was the pharmacy. And that the actual dangerous situation was the person that's trying to be a general practitioner for somebody that goes to 13 different prescribers and they have no clue what's on their regimen, which is the typical situation in primary care. So it's flipped backwards at the FDA and somebody needs to, to study it and call them out on it. Yep. So what's next this year for CPSN? Execution. Right. So we've been saying for 30, 40 years now, oh, pharmacies can do this and that. And those opportunities are emerging. They're not. COVID vaccine levels of economy, of scale and opportunity, but they're real opportunities, real money in a lot of these. They're real opportunities to transform. But we have to we have to actually cash the check that we've been trying to write for the last 30 years. Right. Right. So. Um, I probably spend 85% of my anxiety when I'm staring at the ceiling right now, not just with CPSN, but community-based pharmacy broadly. Hey, we gotta get our crap together. And, And the IT folks and folks like yourself play a critical role in us being able to actually realize the potential that's there. I'm a believer in the potential. There's still a part of me that wonders if we can actually reach the potential. And that mm-hmm. requires mindset change, workflow change, and we have to have, you know, the old BASF thing I just keeps coming to my mind. You know, the, the 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 pharmacist and their team are still the product, but we need the BASF, right? Which was we're not the product, we make the product better. We need the pioneers, the technology providers, the middleware, the switches, all of those folks to make the product efficient and effective. The product itself has a ton of potential, but without folks like you guys steering toward what the future is, it's not going to happen. The providers yeah. can't do this on their own, on 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 an, on an abacus and a notebook.
1: Yeah, right? and when you've got a little bit of a cart and a horse problem, right? We thought the vaccine process was pretty smooth until you tried to do 100 million of them every month. And then we started to see, oh, there's problems with how do you register patients? Well, there's problems with the registries. Well... You know, so you have that, we have to know what the next thing that's inefficient is and keeping an eye on that's been, been interesting.
2: But his issue not even just, is not just efficiency. Well, it is, it is. It, but it's, it's going to now become motivation, not just technical motivation, gamification, calling people out. Um, you know, we have some programs where we're standing at the point of sale offering a $10 bill. Right. And, and the point of sale clerks knocking our hand out of the way. Right. And going on with what they're doing.
0: And I see your, I see your $10 and I see melting ice cream too behind.
2: Yeah. I'm just, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you know, just, I don't care. Um, at that moment in time. And I don't know, is, is our numbers back? Are the numbers, what's our completion rates at? Um, I think right now at about 50%. And got up to as high as 78. Yeah. And now down to the 58%. So, so part, of it's, part of it
0: too, though, Jeff, is relative. So that's the other thing about this space that we're getting into is, you know, when I look at like hemoglobin A1C and blood pressure, um, and we've had a couple of programs like health risk assessments is a good example, where, and even other programs where it was like, wow, we only closed 20% of gaps and we're like hanging our head, tail between our legs right? Hey, only 20% gaps. And they go 20%. Heck yeah. You guys knocked it out of the park, right? Cause we get 10% with X provider or our call center or, right. right? Mm-hmm. So part of this is us all understanding that we're trying to enter a marketplace of folks that isn't just us for good and for bad. Right. Right. We have to understand that. How did that compare to normal
2: completion rates when we looked at like somebody looked across big chains or something like that. Wasn't that still a lot higher? Yeah, I higher? mean
1: we're still a lot higher, but at at the end of the day it was still kind of sad and disappointing to see that. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah. I mean when you compare it to what, you know, one of the big chains is going to do, it's it's still, you know, ten to fifteen percent higher. But at seventy percent, that was double, right?
0: Right. But not just big chains. There could be a call center that's trying to accomplish the same. Right. Right. Yeah, there and, could be uh right a physician's quality program that's trying to accomplish the same there could be a care management company trying to accomplish the same right so we need to recalibrate what we think about when we think about competition in the marketplace when it comes to services and especially in value based mm-hmm. contracting yeah and we have yeah. some gigantic structural advantages and we have some gigantic stru- structural disadvantages in pharmacy and one of those is the IT the systems how do we how do we if the dispensing event is our greatest engagement weapon, right? Because you talk to primary care and their biggest problem is loss to follow-up, lack of patient engagement, I can't get them in for something. Pickup rates in pharmacy are off the charts compared to other provider types, right? right? Because mm-hmm. of that dispensing event. But it's also our worst enemy. How do we make that dispensing event aid in the service delivery rather than become a barrier or a disruption? Right. It's that's that if we can figure that out, pharmacy is going to be the population health management juggernaut in five to 10 years. Yep, because it just has superior engagement. And it's all about how do you get to the population on these many interventions and get them from here to here. Right. Because if I live this in primary care for 15 years, the problem isn't patients coming to your office and you not being able to do something with them. It's the patients that aren't coming to your office that you're responsible for. And they're cycling through the pharmacies two or three times a month, some of these folks. right? right. And, and the, the MBAs and the whiteboards get this now. That's why we're seeing vertical integration. As we, st- as we see providers taking on more and more risk and more and more performance contracts. We have to figure out how to respond to that or we're just going to get eaten alive. So
2: if the FDA is going to try to keep pharmacists from being able to
0: prescribe, what's the pharmacy going to do? Make a relationship with a telehealth provider? I I think what you're describing is the tectonic policy implementation value proposition battle of the next three to five years, frankly, because there's been some open questions that got settled during the pandemic like you know, what can can pharmacies bill medical are pharmacies willing to schedule patients can pharmacies derive a margin from providing services and load balance their labor blew all of those things out of the park can they adopt i mean infusions a great example within 3 to 4 weeks of the opportunity we had hundreds and hundreds of pharmacies doing infusions If you had said that pre-pandemic, you'd have been like, no way, pharmacies aren't going to get it. It's too hard. It's too weird. Mm -hmm. It's not in their space. Well, when you have a $400 and $700 opportunity, guess what? You figure it out real quick. Right. Right. So those questions are answered. Now it's going to become structurally, what's going to happen with vertical integration? What do the policy battles look like? What is the role of the consumer and the public saying, wait a second, it's safer, more effective. And cheaper for me to go this route versus that route. Why are you preventing me from going this route? I think that's going to be the big theme over the next three to five years when it comes to the longer arc of community pharmacy.
1: Do you think there's some correction in there for like nurse practitioners and PAs, where they they went and they expanded so fast that a lot of them seem to be out of their scope? If you look at you know cost of care, they're doing more defensive stuff. They're doing way more tests. They drive up cost in certain cases. Do you think pharmacy is kind of suffering from some of that now where if there's a, a limited scope of practice for prescribing for pharmacists, that makes way more sense than just saying, open it up?
0: I, I think the nature and culture of pharmacy as our upbringing and our professionals we're, were our own worst enemy when it comes to how do we communicate our value to consumers in the marketplace. And I think it relates to how, and I'm pro, like, there's great PAs out there. There's great MPs out there. As a trained health economist, I'm all for people leveling up. It just makes sense to do it that way, just from a systems perspective. But if you look at folks that are in sort of these other areas, like so you have pharmacists, PAs, MPs, other types of professionals and paraprofessionals. And when you look at services that get covered when they win policy battles or when they get credentialed or when they get services, what I keep trying to, to convey to a lot of the folks in, in my network is in pharmacy, our natural inclination and primary care suffered from this. Family medicine very much suffered from this. Our natural inclination is to say, we're good at taking care of people. We can keep them healthy over the long run, and we can prevent downstream hospitalizations and whatever else. We bring lots of health and economic value to the system, okay? Yep. Patient-centered medical home was primary care 1967. Nothing really actually changed until the money conversation changed with the Affordable Care Act and some of the antecedents of it, Right. They made the same mistake we're making in pharmacy. Pharmacy's making the same mistake PCPs have been doing for a long time, which is the logical sane value proposition if you're talking to a centralized system, like the UK or Canada or whatever else, right? We have a different type of a system. It's a it is a marketplace of ideas, good or bad. Some of those are good ideas, some of them are bad, but it gets the, the, there's a sort of a quasi-marketplace policy battle with agency cost in the U.S. And you don't win that battle by saying, hey, over the course of 10 or 20 or 50 years, look at how much value I can bring to the system. That doesn't lead to a CPT code that pays 120 bucks for a 9-9-whatever. Nine, nine right. Because we're on annual budgets, annual legislative cycles, right? We don't have this like long-term national strategy that you can actually reinforce on long-term time horizon value. We have fights every, you know, annum, right? And so to me, what I've seen in the marketplace, and I think we need to apply in pharmacy, is not, hey, there's a study that says we save dollars two to one over five years. We've done a gazillion of those. Primary care's done a gazillion of those. The way you win the battle is you say, by not letting me do this, people are getting harmed. That's how things get covered. I want access to that Alzheimer's drug. My grandma's getting harmed. My mom's getting harmed by you limiting access to it. Not here's this great ROI analysis that yada, yada, yada. Those are AMCP dossiers that go out to every country in the world, except the U.S. There's a reason AMCP dossiers, they go to P&T committees, but at the end of the day, this battle's one on people not having access and they feel like they are being harmed or there's risk to them by not getting access to a service and i see that in medicaid in a lot of spaces trust me right where there's all sorts of services that are available that they try to turn them off and advocates say you're you're harming my disabled child or you're harming this or you're harming you're causing risk to people those are newspaper articles those are successful campaigns and the and the crazy part about it uh, uh, um, gentlemen, is pharmacy, along with primary care, are probably the two principal providers and conveyors of safety. If you had to pick two providers in your life, for for your mother and father, right, or your son or your daughter, that you want to make sure have their crap together for your safety, it's those two. But yet, we both do a really bad job of saying if you don't have good access to primary care services and you don't have access to pharmacy and pharmacy services where we can actually organize stuff, here's all the bad things that happen to you. Hmm. We've got to do a better job of that.
2: So, so a lot of stuff I hear is stuff that needs to happen at national level, uh, needs to happen. W- what it, as, a, as a single pharmacy, let's say I own one pharmacy, w- what should I be doing? How am I going to how am I going to make in meet ends meet in 2022?
0: Well, you have to support your associations, state and national. Because. What I spoke of earlier, right, you're not a dispensary, a healthcare service provider that has a unique advantage by the event of dispensing. If you can't at least break in even or make some margin on the dispensing event, nothing else matters. So right. you we still have to fix those problems. Right? But those are not going to be the 80s, the 90s, the generic uh cliff of the early 2000s. Those days aren't coming back. Right? So the future of pharmacy is break even or hopefully a good margin. It's a it's a true cost plus 8 to 12 dollars ish steady state on dispensing. But where you really do well or not well is how well you can layer forty percent margin. And that's about the average forty percent gross on services. That's going to be—is it a good profitable pharmacy ver- and healthcare provider versus not? So what should I do? And so you got—you got—you're still going to have to do the conventional things you're doing with your associations, your inventory management, your automation, reducing cost to dispense—all of those things. You you just have to be better at that. You're going to have to be. Just as efficient or close to as efficient as the mail-order pharmacy. Okay. You're just going to have to do it. Then what you need to be doing, and, and I'm really encouraged by two conferences I've been to, PDS, MLC, and then just conversations I've had with some others, even APHA with, with some of the community pharmacies that were there, about mindset coming out of the pandemic. So when I was at the PDS conference, I said, hey, how many of you vaccines, testing, infusions, et cetera? And the room's like, yeah, we we, we did a lot of them and we did it well. There were two on my panel that did over 100,000 vaccines. Wow. Think about that. Mm. 100,000, right? Poor Bob Lominick, who's amazing at a lot of things, was only 8,000, but he's only in a town of 12,000, right? Right. <laughs> so, so they did it, right? And then I said, okay, how many of you now looking forward say there's services, opportunities or have an example where you've been able to come off of the vaccines and the testing, gentleman raises his hand and says, this was late February maybe? I've done $100,000 in point-of-care testing since the beginning of the year. I've already made the transition. Hmm. Now, maybe I'm in a state I can, maybe I'm not in a state, what, maybe I've what got a point of care testing? Is he saying I'm doing, I did COVID tests or what, did, what kind a of testing? A lot of it's infection, flu, strep, Okay. right? So even, even very pragmatically as I get into the fall, if you don't think people are gonna be wondering do I have COVID? Do I have the flu? Is this strep? Is this gastro? What's going on with my kid, me, work, whatever else? They're going to want to know. Right. And guess what? Now they look to the pharmacy and go, "Here's a simple, fast, convenient, and I can schedule there." Right. Yep. We actually we actually now have a scheduling advantage over other healthcare providers. Right. So so two two years and a month ago today, we had how many how many pioneer systems had schedulers? None. Probably none, yeah. yeah. 10, 15 maybe? Of that, many? How many pioneer pharmacies now have a way where a patient can go in and self-schedule an appointment in the pharmacy? Lots. Technically thousands, yeah. Yeah, thousands. They're not participating in FRPP unless they are, so I know it's at least 70, 80% because they have to. Mm -hmm. Right. That is gigantic. I mean, it's absolutely gigantic because we're talking workflow, we're talking consumer expectations. So to me, the way to get the pharmacies in the mindset is saying, you've got now scheduling, you've established that you can figure out the labor with the scheduling and the service. Now we need to figure out how to pump a bunch of other service opportunities through that channel. You've actually done the hard part. Yep. Right. Which is the workflow and the consumer part. Another comment. So Joe Moose is one of your customers. I was surprised by how many people wanted to pay cash. Another gigantic lesson learned, right? So I keep saying to all the pharmacies, I have a family of five. I've been on Blue Cross since 2010. I've never used prime insurance once in all that time. Not once. Not one penny has been covered by insurance. I pay cash for everything anyways in the pharmacy. Right. And that's because of high deductible? High deductible. And that's 50% plus of employees. And then we also forget 49% of all employers out there don't offer insurance. There's a gigantic cash marketplace out there. Yeah.
1: Well, it's right? wild. So I actually switched to Concierge Medic Medicine what December last year. Okay. And so I I decided to try it. It was actually ended up being really great cuz I got COVID and then rheumatoid arthritis afterward, which was fun. Um but the the doctor was like, you know, the you have certain labs that are paid for with your your thing. And then the other labs after that are cash. And I was like, all right, fine. So because I've been doing all this arthritis stuff, I've had a lot of labs drawn and like the average cost was like five bucks. When I was going to the other, like my regular insurance, they would build a lab like four or 500 bucks for the same test. Yeah. I was shocked. Like I spent $15 on labs the other day.
0: And that provider's more profitable. That's right. the craziest part about it. Yeah.
1: And right. available. Like she's scheduled in like my average appointment there is like 30 minutes and like 29 of that's with the doctor. It's bonkers.
2: What's a Shingrits, uh shot cost in a pharmacy? Do you know?
1: Um, if you pay cash, it's around 200 bucks. Okay.
2: Yeah. They, um, so they talked to me into getting it when I went to my GP and they billed like $600 for a Shingrix vaccine.
0: Yeah, I'm sure the yeah, insurance just,
2: company's going to cut it back to, but
0: yeah. So on my high deductible plan, I just had, I had to get my five-year-old had to get labs. The bill was $880 for the labs. There was a $666 network discount. And then I paid, you know, 284 And I think the old game was the consumer says, oh wow, I'm so glad I've got insurance. I would have paid $800. But that that game is up almost. I think right. more and more people are right. starting to realize. But wait, I can get the same thing for fifty bucks right. if I right. just don't even use the system.
1: Like I'm I'm a relatively sophisticated user, and I was like I was shocked at how inexpensive the labs actually were.
2: Where were you? Where did you get, just from her? From her,
1: yeah. Just they just same right. Took the blood, sent it off. The exact same labs I would have gotten from you know lab or right. You're not
2: paying any. you your concierge medicines. So you're not paying any doctor portion of those labs. Uh, you know, I guess they're taking a cut to write the script or whatever, because I'll do, um, I usually do, well, I didn't do a GP for a while, just basically did labs myself annually. Um, you know, I can look, my mother's a med tech, my, uh, uncle was a doctor, you know, I can look at meds and see if it's time for me to go to GP or not. And, um, and they would use a doctor. You'd go through uh, somebody, uh, health testing centers of America, whatever, and they have some yep. doctor that writes a script for that, yep. but they're still super reasonable, you can, and you get a lot more than you normally get. I think for a couple hundred dollars, you got tons of profile from vitamin D to testosterone to stuff the doctor's not going to do unless they suspect something, but yep. to me, something it's better to have a baseline over time, and then if I need to go to the doctor, I bring in my labs. You know, the old, yeah, old right. way you went to the doctor, then they ordered your labs and you might get a cryptic phone call telling you everything's okay, but, but really no comparison or, uh, to the other. So,
0: yeah, that's a classic example of what HIE wanted to accomplish, but I think they bit off more than they can chew, which is a system where the information follows the patient, not the provider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Philosophically, that would be an ideal system. Your information follows you wherever you go versus providers having to share it with each other, Yep. right? Hey, I'm bringing my labs to you. You're the healthcare professional. You're not a lab. Here's the information. Tell me what I need to know. And you're seeing
2: that a lot more in apps now. Um, you know, there are some of the hospital apps are, are other medical apps where you actually get the labs before you hear from your doctor. You know, they're in the, they're in the app. Uh, so that, it, that's changing. Um, and I know I I had to start going to a GP this year cuz our company requires it. It's you get a you get a penalty if you don't go to a GP once a year. So, um, and this particular one actually does the lab 7 days before so that they sure. have them to go over with you makes, when they when they do it. So so there you know a lot of sense. there's progress being made in in multiple places but um, So
0: I want to pull on a thread you were talking about earlier cuz we're having this kind of directional conversation on How do you provide value outside of the, if the traditional system refuses to change, how do you work around it? So I was driving up from the cruise and we stopped at a McDonald's. I was looking down, not trying to be rude, but looking down because I took a picture. Hanging on the soda machine at the McDonald's when we walked in was this laminated sign. Here's what it says. McDonald's arches, free insurance. Need free medical insurance. We are hiring all positions and times. We are offering paid time off, flexible schedule, free meals, uniforms, up to $2,500 in college tuition assistance, McPerks discount, bright red, free telemedicine insurance for single or family households, which includes free basic prescription plan when you work 30 hours or more. I'll bet you 100 bucks this isn't actually an insurance plan. Right? Because generally these employers don't offer insurance. Because okay. they, might be, they might be like, hey, I'm an employer. I employ... 15 people at this particular McDonald's. They have, you know, most restaurant tours don't provide health insurance to most of their staff, right? In fact, a lot of pharmacies don't either, right? So how do you work in a competitive environment? This is like the post-World War II situation where it's like super competitive labor market. And here they're coming up with a product which is basically, what's the cheapest way I can provide basic health care to my employees? I'm not going to give them fill in the name, especially brand name, catastrophic. I'm not gonna go through the whole ACA. I I can't. Right. But boy, if I can give them 90% of drugs and telemedicine for 40 bucks a month to me, maybe I can get some employees this way. This is this is a trend. Hmm. Watch out for it. Interesting. We need to figure out in pharmacy how we respond to it. We're working on that at CPSN. What do you think about um OTC
2: uh hearing aids? Anything
0: I think there? I was just on just a cruise with dad. <laughs> okay. My dad. Who needed who hearing lost, aid? Who lost his second hearing aid that cost $4,000 or whatever else. Right. Couldn't hear a thing all week. Wasn't really super engaged with the grandparents. Don't mean to call him out. He's a loving grandparent and great person. But, you know, I, t- I, t- I told everyone in the family, I'm like, quit having a crisis about this. You can very easily go and get a relatively affordable. You don't have to go through a whole process. Just go pay for it. And if you can get for a couple hundred bucks OTC that works just the same or just about as good, that's going to work best for dad because he's going to lose the next (laughs) $4,000 in a month. And I don't know if Medicare will cover it and all this kind of stuff, right? So, again, you're just getting to a trend, which is consumers, you know, just direct access to things. Pay out of pocket is cheaper, more effective, and more convenient. So, is there though?
2: Right. H- how do I, as a pharmacy, start handling OTC hearing
0: aids? Is there training I have to do? Is there? Yeah, um, I would say you need to trip Logans all over this. You should get him on one of the one of your next uh, podcasts. Oh, that's good. Here. We've had Trip
2: on before. We we'll ha- we have to have Trip on again.
0: Yeah, in- and 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 a, a lot of it is you know, and I don't want to speak for Trip. I'll let I'll give a little preview here. Okay, is first you know, understand the audiologist and the specialist in your area, reach out to them and say, look, I'm not trying to compete with you, but I, there, uh, uh, um, there's a physician in Cincinnati I talked to that said that, that there's good evidence that Alzheimer's progression is dramatically increased when you lose your hearing because you lose engagement. Okay. And he was a very passionate advocate for, he's, he's, he's like a brain surgeon or I can't remember exactly what his function was, but he was very much an advocate for getting OTC hearing aids out to the marketplace. I think he does cochlear implants, cochlear implants and, and understanding who's around you versus just, Hey, I've got retail space. I'll put it in my retail space, right? Not a good strategy for any independent, frankly, right? It's about relationships, referrals, how do I help my patients, how many of my existing patients might have this need, right? And how do I screen them? And so there's, there, it's, a, it's a potentially great area, and trips an expert, but, but you, you're probably going to have more opportunity, again, because your existing patient panel and your relationships with providers is your bread and butter as an independent.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I wonder if TRIPS coming to Connect.
0: Maybe that might be a good class to teach on the – I'd be shocked if he isn't. He's a new pioneer user, and he's not but 200 miles from Nashville, right? Yeah, I'm sure he's coming. I was wondering if he's sure he's coming.
2: Well, you know, just wondering if he's already teaching something or he's got a whole baked
0: something like that presentation on it already. I've been a part of it. What is your class about? It connect. That's a good question. I'm he's, sure <laughs> <laughs> he's like, it's not Somebody May thirty first yet. Of other <laughs> he's
2: like, he's up. like,
0: I've been I'll out think, for a week and a half. He's like, I'll, I'll think hour about hour. that
2: a week a week before. <laughs>
0: Where did y'all cruise to? <laughs> we uh, set out from. Uh, it was this was a four times rescheduled family vacation with both sets of grandparents. So our goal was to get on a a bigger ship with fewer stops. Okay. So we were able to get on one of those Oasis-class ships. They're unbelievable. So this was Harmony of the Seas with the open back end and the purple slide and everything. 8,000 people. I mean, it's bonkers, right? Uh, The running track at the bottom is 0.66 kilometers. So it's 12 laps to 5 miles to give you a sense of the size of the ship, right? And then we stopped at St. Thomas, St. Martin, and then Coco Cay, which is their incredible um, you know, private island as far as um, everything there. So, so your it was, goal it was, was to
2: spend
1: more time on the boat? Yeah, that's what I wanted to come back to. Most of the time, people want to get off the boat.
0: Yeah, if it was just Peggy and I, we'd want to be on a new island every day. But when you've got a larger group and family kind of reunion-like team type things, we've identified as a good way to do things. Because you got everything from somebody that's much less mobile, Right. People that like certain things. Hey, I want to go explore the island. I want to do shopping. So it's, a, it's kind of a great way to figure out people with different interests and different comfort levels in different com- countries, different mobility, different age ranges. For us, you get on a royal, big Royal Caribbean boat, you go to a couple islands. There's tons of stuff for a five year old to do, a 10 year old to do, a 15 year old to do, and a 78 year old to do. But you're all back in the mm. same place for dinner. And CPA should do a pharmacy cruise. That came up, actually. This versus before I was leaving. I was like, here's what I'm doing. Like, We should do a theme cruise. Dibs on that show. <laughs> no, I, pioneer, I think they should. Cruise, right? The times yeah. are
2: about the same. Imagine, a, imagine a, a cruise filled with all your favorite people, and and they can't get that far away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can always chase them down. Audience for <laughs> CE. Yeah, you can, you can chase them yeah. down.
1: Yeah, it's funny. We, Jess and I were talking about doing a cruise, and every time we were about to pull the trigger – some horrible thing happens on the cruise where they're like, this cruise is broken out two miles off the coast and everybody has diarrhea. And I'm like, oh, she's not going on a cruise now.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah. So that was one of the things I noticed. There's a lot of analysis across a lot of sectors about how has COVID changed the way that businesses operate, right? So in the cruise industry, there's a bunch of stuff that, that probably won't go away. Getting onto the boat and off of the boat, lightning quick compared to what it used to be a lot of it prompted or pushed accelerated by covid hmm. touchless huh. wireless everybody have an app right, right. so using yeah. the using the pandemic to actually adopt technology is one of the things that's happening interesting the the other thing is there's now wash stations right so the whole even physical structure and how people flow through the boats has been changed by COVID because of some of it forced and some of it volunteer, but one of those things, washing your hands before you go to the, go into these, what amounts to kind of mass cafeteria, depending on where you eat on the boat and whatever else, right? Also, you used to be able to grab your own food. Now it gets served to you. All of those things do what? It dramatically right. reduces the probability right, of a Right, because you're not touching the handle that everybody else yeah, does. Right, and, right? So, so it, it is going to be a new normal, and, and a lot of things will be good in this new normal.
1: Mm hmm. Right. I, I, I'm still shocked at how dirty we were, you know, like the things that we were <laughs> okay. able to that we tolerated. All right, Mr.
0: Hole, the
2: the whatever taco stand that you can find. I'll eat dirty food. <laughs> I understand that.
0: But I'm okay. talking about
1: surfaces and dirty like mouth. cleaning. And yeah, but like <laughs> that's one of the things I hope doesn't go back after COVID where you're like one of the things that like that I'd never really thought about is when you go into Target, like, you know, and you grab a, a shopping cart. They have, like, a person there that's, like, spraying them down and cleaning them. And I guarantee you, pre-COVID, they hadn't been cleaned since the day they rolled off the truck new. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so so my 10-year-old yesterday, like I said, this was the first time our school district was masked optional. And I know a lot of people have a lot of different sentiments about masks. It's not really – what I'm saying is not about masks specifically. What I'm saying is habits are habits. Right. Right? And so my son's, like – he. Still kind of he still takes a mask with him. He's used to it, right? I think eventually it'll come off, but he's still wearing a mask. He's like, oh, I wear a mask, I'm used to it. He'll pull it down. You know, eventually I think but it's a habit for him, right? right? But what are some other habits that we all learned that we should have been doing, like brushing our teeth that we learned in the pandemic? My kids wash their hands like crazy. I thought you and, were and about we to say you learned to wa-
1: brush your teeth in
0: the pandemic, but I was like, oh, <laughs> no, I, mean, I see. <laughs> the, 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 like there's these habits, right? Like right. we all yeah, cold brush our teeth and some of us do a better job than others, but you've seen the statistics, mm-hmm. right? And, and we know there's flaws in the Y chromosome when we see statistics about how many men walk into a bathroom, go to the bathroom in a public restroom and don't wash their hands when they leave. It's like 60, 70%, <laughs> right? Like that's gross, yep. right? Yeah, that, that's terrifying. That I, I, my suspicion is that number will go down dramatically. It's probably of, not way different than the
2: doctors who go into a patient's room without washing their hands.
0: Uh, well, that's the whole manifest. The the <laughs> it's probably not Atul Gawande manifesto, right? Right. You make it a thing. You make it a habit, and you yep. follow it. Um, kids picking their nose to, in total seriousness, right? Oh, don't pick your nose. Don't pick your nose. Don't pick your nose. Kids pick their nose. I haven't seen my kids pick their nose in two years, and I haven't seen them do it since since, even when there's no mass around or anything, because they've gotten into a habit. Right. Right. So I think, you know, as we're thinking just broadly, either personally or pharmacy, just reflecting on on what new normal is and what are some of these sort of underlying behavioral tectonic changes that have happened. And for me, again, it's consumers thinking of pharmacies as service providers in a way that at a mass scale didn't exist before right before it was oh and also if i feel comfortable i might be able to get a vaccine at a pharmacy that's not where people are at now it's a it's if i'm going to get a vaccine i'm just going to go to a pharmacy of course that's where i would go why would i go anywhere else right it's i can pay cash for things it's i can schedule an appointment right it's um new ways of patient flows that they're used to now, right? So how do I provide personalized service, but maybe I'm not really giving up that delivery to the parking lot, right? I was yep. at uh, Eric's Prescriptions Unlimited. They've got a very kind of crafty way that he does his drive through It doesn't really feel like a drive through It feels like you drive up and it's basically like, how can I be in a car and the exam room at the same time? It's not like a push a thing out. It's a whole door, right? Who's that? Who's the owner there is that Mark? Eric Larson down. In oh, South Eric Cloud. Larson. Okay, yeah, yeah. I did my pre-cruise testing there. Oh, wow. And, and it was like, wait a second. This is what drive up should look like. And my gut tells me. I haven't asked him, but my gut tells me is they knocked a hole in the wall because they had because it's not a natural drive up structure that he has. No, they just have a door before. going to the exactly right, right. But that's better, right? Right. Like, I basically had an appointment with this person. I never had to leave my car, but it was still an appointment. It wasn't like put milk through the, right? You know, so there's these things that we have to, we really should be thinking about as far as how we should, what things should we keep and learn about particularly service delivery and how consumers think of services and how they pay for them.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. I was in that pharmacy and I kind of thought about that as a, as a workaround. Hmm.
1: Well, you know it's funny. My my dry cleaners has a door that's exactly like that, and they've done it for years because it's easier for them to run out and bring my clothes. Yeah.
0: Go ahead. Right. So maybe we shouldn't call it a drive-through. Maybe it's a drive-up. Huh? Yeah. Right. That's cool. But 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 something as sort of small as that that we might just dismiss in our world could be a really big shift, change mindset for our customers, for right. our teammates. Yeah. Right.
2: It's true. Yeah. And you can imagine somebody older with limited mobility having problems with reaching up to in the drive through window or, or but reaching also, up there and getting something out of the little tray that comes out.
0: Exactly. But it's also a different experience, right? Cause again, you've been there, so we know, you know, we, maybe we need to bring it to, to the color to life for the audience here, but I can drive up. It's just a door your point, right? It goes right into their workspace area as if it were an exam room or workspace, a physician's area, whatever. There's nothing stopping saying, hey, we're going to do a visit. Would you like to do it as as the drive up or would you like to come in the store? Oh, I want to do it as the drive up. I'm immobile or I got my kid in the back. I'm picking him up a day, whatever, right? I pull up a stool and I just start having a conversation with you. How's that any different than if I go park five blocks away at the health system, walk across, check in, Take a number, go back, get shifted all the way back to a waiting room, right? Wait for that person to get done versus I come, hey, here's my pharmacist. They pull up a stool, we have a med. Management interaction.
2: Now that's easier right? to do in central Florida than, like, North Dakota. Yeah. Well, and I was <laughs> also picturing, like, in Florida, like, you got the guy pulls
1: out in, like, a one of those, um, you know, like, mechanic creepers, the the stools that have, like, all the tools underneath. I just, <laughs> I just picture this, like, Florida man come out in a stool.
2: But I think How North you Dakota, you could have a heater. You know, you can have some type of. Right,
0: but, but here's the thing. Even in North Dakota, they figured it out. They figured it out. The right. pandemic forced us to figure it out. It might have been an iPad that somebody was holding in yep. the parking lot. It could have been, right? But I think just to dismiss and say, okay, I'm going to da- go back to March 12, 2020 is on the stupid pile. Like if I had one message, that's, that's on the stupid pile. Yes, we need, to con- we need to continue to get better at being more efficient at the, the perfunctory stuff in dispensing. CPSN pharmacies that haven't figured out sync, haven't figured out how to do dispensing workflow, are the ones that can't do work, service workflow very well either. You have to be good at that. Yep. But don't throw away all of those opportunities with consumers and things, widgets, workflows, people that you figured out how to do. Go, go back to your original question on, the, on, our, on our podcast here, which is, how do I take that and I leverage it now for the next thing?
2: What would you say to people who are on the fence about coming to Connect?
0: I'm going to get in trouble for saying it and I've said it a bunch of times and it's just a true statement. Uh, As you know, we're CPSN as agnostic. It's important for us to be agnostic for a lot of reasons, culturally and otherwise. But when it comes to a gathering of IT customers in the pharmacy space, it's the most concentrated space of entrepreneur forward thinking uh, folks to network with when it comes to a, a technology sponsor meeting that I've ever gone to, you're crazy not to go. If you're, if you're a pioneer customer, it's crazy for you not to go to that conference.
2: Yeah. I've been emailing some people who I see weren't going to say, hey, you should go. And, and you know, people will write me back and say, well, reimbursements are down. I just can't afford to go. And, you know, one of the points that, and I even told, talked to one of them on the phone and told this and said, this may not be how you invest in your pharmacy. But the only thing we can all agree on is that if you don't invest in your pharmacy, it's not going to get better. Without investment, it's not, you're not going to be to leave it alone and just hope that something's going to change, right? Nothing is going to change based on hope. You have to
0: invest in it. And well, maybe I can make you a deal, Jeff. Can I talk you into a quote in your first slide at Connects? Okay. What would be my quote? It's a quote, it's a quote by Morgan Freeman from a movie that's on that everybody loves to watch over and over again, right? And it goes like this. Get busy living or get busy dying.
1: I like that a lot. That could have just as easily been 50 cent quote. <laughs>
0: <Sure>. <laughs> and you get it right. Get the words right. But to mm-hmm. me, that's where we're at in community pharmacy. Look, get 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 busy making this transition or sell. Because doing what you were doing on March 12th, you're, you're not going to you're just going to bleed yourself dry at this point. The contracts aren't getting better. Right.
2: Yeah, it's not right? going Right. It's not going to get better without investment. You're going to have to. And what where you choose that, you know, we had a guy on who, who chose to do it by by doing consumer pod, uh, TikToks, right? And where he's addressing consumers and he's getting people coming in every day because they see him now as this expert. Or, you know, you, you got to find it. You got to find what thing are you investing in this year. Connect's a great place to do that, as are other conferences, as are anybody who isn't on CPSN and involved in their their state chapter CPSN, they have to, that's a great place to invest. Um, with the track and trace stuff coming next year, they're going to invest in inventory. They're going to, if they're not doing perpetual inventory today, they're going to do it. And uh, if they don't, there's going to be huge, huge problems. Yeah, so well, yeah I mean, if, That's going to be one of, if they don't do it, they won't exist. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, I can't, I can't say enough, uh, that, uh, Josh and Jeff, how much I agree with this. You have to do the things you have to do, most efficiently invest how to do them to be a pharmacy, and that's dispensing medications. But we see through and through and through, if you don't do those things efficiently, you're not going to be able to provide services. So you have to do those those things and do it well, and you've got to have a good technology solution that allows you to do that set of solutions, frankly, yeah. to do that, right? Um, then you have the opportunity to invest in services, which again, I'll point out what we see, and you can see it, Harvard Business Review, we see it in programs um, if you've got a reasonable economy of scale, the margin for services gross is forty percent after labor. Forty percent. What you're in right now is one point seven. And what if happens if it goes down to one point six five? What if happens if it goes down to one point five? Yep. You've you've got to change your mindset.
2: Yep. Just like grocery stores. It, it, drugs are like oranges today. Right? It's right? commodity. It's a commodity. Yeah, a commodity. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you for being with us yeah. again today, and, and and thank you for your role at CPSN and, and all you do for uh,
0: pharmacy. Well, I appreciate you putting up with my uh, always long-winded answers and flighty train <laughs> of thought. And, uh, look, well, come, I look forward to it. I'll come back anytime. It's a great setup. You guys do a cool show. All right. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Ray. Sure.
1: Thank you for watching the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe, and follow us wherever you get your podcast.
2: Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more pharmacy professionals like you.